following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is in the New Testament, right after the book of Malachi. Ran away from me there for a minute. I had to double check. If you don't know where our book of the Bible is, you can use your table of contents. If your neighbor makes fun of you for using your table of contents, there's plenty of other places to sit in the sanctuary. Big numbers are the chapters, the small numbers are the verses. We've been walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's a famous sermon. Matthew, the author of this gospel, the gospel just means essentially uh, the story of Jesus' life. Gospel of Jesus is that he came, that he died, and that he rose again. And we believe in Jesus, that he is our Messiah here at Community Gospel Church. And Matthew was a follower of Jesus. He was a tax collector, and Jesus said, come and follow me. And he said, of course, I'll do that. And he did that so that he could learn things that he did not learn before in the past. And Jesus has already outlined in the first couple of verses um, these beatitudes, the way that we should act um, as followers of Jesus Christ. And the way you become a follower of Jesus Christ is that you would confess with your mouth that you are a sinner, that you fall short of God's standard, and believe in your heart that he is the Messiah. He is, uh, his blood is, covers your sin. The Old Testament tells us there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, it was temporary. In the New Testament, Jesus being 100% God and 100% man uh, pays the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. So we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Bible says we will be saved. He calls us his children. And that is a trust. That's what it means to trust Christ. A firm belief that we have here at Community Gospel and individuals who know Jesus and the reliability, the abilities, and the strengths of Christ. It is essential to us. His word, as the Bible says, shines a light on our path and shows us how we are to live our lives. In Psalm, actually, chapter 16, it declares, You made known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you see a grumpy believer, you look at them and say, Hey, Jesus on the cross for your sin, man. Turn that frown upside down, okay? Turn that pity party into a praise party. Good. Still with me? Trusting's one thing, man. It's critical and it's crucial, but what about confidence? I think sometimes us as believers, we lack confidence. We can trust Christ, but confidence is a completely different thing. Confidence essentially means that we take this trust one step farther and we are confident or rest assured, maybe is another word to say it, in approaching God by asking anything and that he hears us. Do you pray like that? That when you pray to God, he hears you, do you have confidence in that, that he hears your voice? 
The Lord is there to help in Second Chronicles, it says, to fight our battles. Do you believe with confidence that God fights your battles? Or how about this? In Hebrews chapter 4, it says that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. Are you confident in Christ when you pray to him that he will help you in your time of need? I think sometimes we lack that. And here in the passage that's in front of us, Jesus is going to say, I want you to trust me, but I want you to be confident in me too as well. We should be confident in Christ. Before we go any further, let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth and what it means. And we thank you that we can have confidence in Christ because he died on the cross for our sins. And we thank you that we don't walk alone in this world when we confess and believe in you. We have the opportunity to be more than conquerors, is what your word says. That we can be victorious. And that we can stand strong and be courageous. Like Joshua in the Old Testament, Moses commands him, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or discouraged. And so the goal of today is that we would be encouraged and we would trust you. We would put our confidence in what you say. And that you would give us affirmation to believe this is true in all of our daily endeavors. And that we wouldn't be puffed up with knowledge because we know these things, but we would go out from this place and we would show the world that it's true as walking worshipers, living sacrifices. We would show the world that is around us that it's an amazing thing to be called a child of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God, speak through me today. Give me the words to say. Help me to love these people well. I know we love them. They are very near and dear to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen? All right. Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at this. Here we go. Verse... 17. If you don't have a Bible, use your pew Bible. It's page 1502 if you don't have a Bible. If you want to take that Bible home with you, go for it. It's not stealing if we give it to you, right? All right. Verse 17. Jesus is speaking here. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to do that. I haven't come to abolish them, but I've come to you, say me, I've come to you so that I would fulfill them. Speaking to the 12 disciples first, in front of them, speaking to the disciples that followed him in the crowd there, extending from generation to generation to us who are gathered here today. For truly, I say to you, say me, man, it's for you. He says, truly, I say to you, until a heaven and earth pass away, not a dot, not an iota will pass from the law until it is accomplished. What in the world does that mean? Huh? I'm confused, right? Well, I studied all week for you to help you not be confused. Somebody say amen. Good job, pastor. All right. Throughout the Bible, God gives moral commands to his people through ceremonial law to help him love him. He essentially says, hey, you're not going to do okay by yourself, so let me give you some laws that you should follow. You know, it's kind of like your kids one day get excited and you're like hey we're just gonna let you do whatever you want to do today and see how that works out get to the end of the day and you think okay you're not doing so well we should probably give you some rules and guidelines to follow right god does that with his people that's the old testament genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy first five books of the bible are called the law and god gives laws to his people he says you do this you don't do this you'll be okay and guess what israel his chosen people when they do what god wants them to do guess what everything's good and they don't do what God wants them to do, guess what happens? Not so good, okay? So you have, after the first five books of the Bible, you have essentially what's called the history of Israel showing if they did well or they did not do well based off of loving the Lord. 
So there you have half of the Old Testament right there, right? Man, you're doing good today. We're giving you some tools for your arsenal. You go even farther after the wisdom books, and you get to major and minor prophets, and they spoke about Jesus. And this Jesus guy is going to come. He's going to do some amazing things. 300 prophecies in the Old Testament speak about Jesus. And all of those came true. So here we see that God's law was going to be given to the people, but guess what happened? People took his law and they twisted it. Can you imagine that? They misapplied it in their life. Your kids have never done that to you, have they? You should go clean your room, and they go up there, and they clean it to their standard, not your standard. And you think to yourself, man, we should have gotten more specific, right? Here, God's law is misquoted, and it's misapplied. And then Jesus arrives, and he's looking at all these religious leaders and all of these scribes and these Pharisees and all these other important guys who have puffed themselves up with knowledge. He says, hey, I think we should clarify some things. And they get a little upset, right? They're like, why would you need to clarify things? He's well, like, first of all, because I'm the son of God, and second of all, because you need help. And the people who aren't scribes and Pharisees say amen, and the other people, they just get really, really upset, and they plot to kill him. We're going to talk about that next week when we talk about murder. It's funny that God's law says don't murder, but they were plotting in their hearts to kill Jesus. I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) So Jesus says, let me clarify some things for you. Look at that first verse in verse 17. Jesus says, you think that I have come to abolish the law, those laws that I've given to you. You think that I've come to abolish the prophets, the things that they spoke about me. That's not the case, Jesus says. He says, I'm not some new rabbi or new teacher. Rabbi is just a Jewish teacher trying to convince you of new philosophies. The day that Pastor Jordan stands up to the congregation, he says, let me show you something new. That is a time in which you remove me from the pulpit because God's word is the only thing that matters. And all we're doing here on Sunday morning is clarifying. And so here, Jesus says, let me just clarify something to you. This isn't a new philosophy. You've had this message from the beginning. You have it in your hands. You have the truth in front of you. And Jesus' purpose wasn't to abolish this, but was to fulfill this. We'll get there in just a second. God didn't change his mind sending Jesus and just essentially say, hey, we're going to scrap this whole thing, right? You guys obviously don't do the right thing, so let's send Jesus. He'll be plan B. Jesus wasn't plan B. He's plan A from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, and man, this is a sermon. I'm not going to preach it today, but it says, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And essentially, in Genesis chapter 3, it's pointing to crucifixion and revelation. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the revelation that would be fulfilled based off the fact that God will build a new heaven and he'll build a new earth. And here in the text it says, I'm not here to destroy those law or those prophets. Now, if you were sitting there and you had gathered to hear Jesus speak, essentially you would have uh, really resonated with what he just said. Because you went to church on Saturday because you were probably a good God-fearing Jew. And as you went there on Saturday, you heard the scribes and the Pharisees stand up and they would have two parts to their message. They would preach essentially, or they would essentially read from the law, those first five books. But then they would also read from the prophets. And so you would have said, oh, okay, I understand. That's kind of what a church service looks like. And you're the ultimate teacher. But as they read in this time period, they would look at the people and they would say, you have followed or you've heard about this Jesus Messiah. You know what this Jesus Messiah is doing? He's walking around. He's breaking all of these laws. So perhaps there were some people in the crowd who had heard Jesus say these things and they thought to themselves, man, last Saturday we heard some Pharisees say that you're the devil. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, I'm not the devil. But they're looking at him and they're thinking to themselves, you're the ultimate lawbreaker. That's what we've heard from our teachers. That's why Jesus says, you have heard 
people say these things. But I don't oppose the living God, he says. As a matter of fact, he says, I am complete submission to the living God. Are you? I'm 100% committed to the living God. I have submitted my life to him. How do we know that? Well, in John chapter 12, another gospel of Jesus, we'll hear Jesus say himself, for I didn't speak on my own initiative. These are new words to you, but I speak on the Father who sent me. He told me what to say and what to speak. Did you know the majority of things that Jesus says are from the Old Testament? Here's how we say them in today's language. They're big no-dos. If you were sitting there, Jesus is looking at you and he's saying, it's simple, how difficult do you want me to make it? In Romans chapter 13, Paul, the uh, um, apostle, essentially, apostle Paul, one who has seen Jesus, he saw him on the road uh, to Damascus, that's where he accepted Christ as his savior. Paul was one who populated the church to persecute it, and to push against it, but then he comes to know Jesus, and now he populates it in a positive way. And in Romans, a letter he writes to the church that's gathered there, he says, whoever resists the authorities, God's authority, Christ's authority, resists what God appointed, and those who resist it, guess what? They're going to incur judgment. He says, you can't resist the authority of Christ because the authority of Christ is in line with the authority of God. And he says, you must submit yourself to some sort of authority. Have you submitted to the authority of Christ? Have you said, it's not about me and what I want, it's about what Christ wants, and I want to do what Christ wants because Christ did what God wants. No man comes to the Father, the Bible tells us, but through me. It's Jesus' words. You've got to come through me. I don't have to go to some priest and talk to him. I go to Jesus because he mediates on my behalf by the blood that was shed on the cross. You can have confidence in Christ because he was in complete submission to what was already said in the Old Testament. That should give you confidence right there, right? You know, this is funny. Um, I don't know about you guys. I use my kids a lot of sermon illustrations, and I do that because they don't remember real well at this age. They're getting older, so I have to stop that in a little bit, but not now. <laughs> and my kids, uh, it'll be about 4.30, quarter to 5, and I'll have gotten home, and they'll go upstairs, and Bethany will be up there doing whatever she does, and they'll say, Mom, can I have a snack? And she looks at them, and she says, No, you can't have a snack. We're going to eat dinner in 15 minutes, Right? And so all of a sudden, the kids, they get a little conniving, and their sin nature comes out, and they say, hey, let's go ask Dad. Maybe he'll say something different. So you hear the little pitter-patter of the feet come down the steps, and all of a sudden, they're like, Dad, and I'm like, this should be good. What you need? We're hungry. Can we have a snack? And you know what I say to them? What would your mother say? <laughs> you want to know why I say that? Because I'm a good husband. <laughs> because I like living in my house. I want to stay in my house. <clears throat> And they'll look at me and they'll say, Mom said we shouldn't. And I'm said, I'm glad you didn't lie to me because I heard what you said upstairs. And I said, thanks for not lying to me, but you know what? Your mom and I were on the same team. If your mom says you can't have a snack, guess what? Can't have a snack, sorry. But we're going to eat in 15 minutes. Isn't that going to be so good? Oh, Dad, for real? She said the same thing. Imagine that, right? Imagine that, that Jesus is saying the same thing that the Father says. He says we're on the same team. What he says in the Old Testament is the same thing he says in the New Testament. And he says, I have come, just as God said, I would come to fulfill. You can circle that word fulfill in your Bible. That's a really interesting word there. Fulfill can be taken three ways. Number one, it can be taken by obedience. Fulfill can also mean to bring out the full meaning of something. And fulfill can also mean to complete things. So Jesus arrives on the scene to fulfill God's word in three ways. He obeys it 100% of the time. He is also bringing out the full 
here, he's clarifying for the people who are gathered here. He's helping them see the full meaning of what God said. And three, he completes all of it by dying on the cross and raising again. Why does he do this? Jesus does all of these three things because he's perfectly obedient. He's not just submissive. He is obedient as well. He is 100% obedient. Are we? If a Christ was obedient, then we too can be obedient. He's not in contradiction to the Old Testament. He's in alignment to the Old Testament. He doesn't add anything to the Old Testament except to say, because I have been perfectly obedient, guess what? You can be obedient. Because I have been obedient, you too can be obedient. You cannot do anything apart from me, the Bible says. Jesus' words. Essentially, it says where, he, where you fall short, he's going to complete. You can challenge him all you want, but he's going to come through with flying colors. You can have confidence in Christ because he fully obeys God's law. It is like you who pay rent, right? And your kids live rent-free. You don't look at your eight-year-old and say to them, hey, it's about time you start paying rent, right? Some of you are like, we should start doing that. That's a really good idea, Pastor Jordan. Thank you for that. You don't do that, Right? You get to live in the house if you're a kid because of the obedience of your parents who pay the bills. You get the Wi-Fi password when you do your chores. Right? And if you're smart, you'll change it every day. But here we are seeing that Jesus' obedience is our opportunity to have the full inheritance. Jesus being 100% obedient to God says, here, if you're going to be my child, I'm going to give you keys to the kingdom. You can do Everything through me, or you fall short of complete. I want you to have your confidence, he says essentially there. I want you to be able to experience the joy of my salvation because I followed it to the letter. Now it's interesting here. He uses that word dots and iotas, which is kind of interesting. You could circle those two things if you want. You could circle them in the Pew Bibles too. You're just helping somebody out later on down the road. But that word dot is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. You don't understand anything in the Bible. In the New Testament, you say, it's Greek to me. There we go. Iota is the smallest mark. Okay, so you have letters and you have marks that are really tiny. How do we uh, transpose that, I guess, into our generation? It's like when you cross your T's and dot your I's, and some of you ladies put cute little tails on your Y's, Right? It's a dot or an iota, essentially, in the Hebrew. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, listen, I wasn't just about God's ideas. I followed them to the letter. I followed them specifically exactly how they should be lived. I followed that GPS as far as it told me to go. I put the directions in there, and I followed them to the letter. And it got me to where I needed to be, and it can get you to where you need to be. And you know what he's saying here? You should have full dependency upon God's word. Jesus is essentially looking at us here, and he is saying, listen, you need to follow God's word to the letter. You don't get to just open this, take out a Sharpie, and start writing in it with things you don't like. He says, no, <clears throat> listen, this word of God is for you. And that's why a lot of times you'll hear me say, this is what the Greek means or this is what the Hebrew means because it helps you have a fuller understanding. And you could do that by yourself too as well in your own private study. 
but we have obedience in Christ because he is faithful to the letters of God's word. And so we must be too as well. We must be submissive. We must be in obedience and full alignment to God's word. And some of us will look at this and we'll say, but I don't know God's word. You know what the cure to that is? Read it. <clears throat> I've given you instructions. That's like me coming home. Actually, I'll give you a better one. I heard from a lady. Um, she left and went on a trip. And she said, I left instructions to my husband. What a good wife she is, right? And I called him and I said, hey, how are the kids doing? And he said, they're fine. They're at school. They're doing well. And she said, great. Did they eat breakfast? And he said, no, they didn't eat breakfast. She said, why not? He said, it wasn't in the instructions. Sometimes we follow to the letter, and oh man, that's not good, right? Gives confidence to all who would believe and validates our trust. Listen to this. If we fail to submit to God's standard and are not obedient to his word, our confidence will be earthly and fleeting. But when you surrender and conform to the image of Christ fully, you can glorify God with full confidence, and he will accept our worship and consider it worthy. Your lives, as Romans will say, will be living sacrifices, pure and holy, pleasing to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, I have some questions after I read that. Because if God wants me to follow his word to the letter, I've read the whole Old Testament, and whoa boy. Look at verse 19. <clears throat> he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes, oh man, Jesus is coming down. Here comes the hammer. I knew there was a but, there's always one in the Bible. Whoever relaxes in one of the least of these commandments, he's speaking Old Testament-wise. If you're a Jew, he's talking about all of those books. And he says, if you relax in any of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them, they will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus, hold on a second. Because essentially it seems like you are asking me and everybody who's gathered here today to practice all of the commands included in the law and the prophets. If the Bible is true, it says Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, to do away with the Old Testament laws. He came to fulfill them. So what is that for you and I who follow Jesus today? Well, I'm glad I studied today, right? I got you covered. Let's watch how this Old Testament law breaks down. Let's see what that looks like. Jesus is using hyperbole here to make a point. The Old Testament commandments, okay, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are explained in the life of Jesus' teaching. There's three specific areas that you need to know about in regards to this Old Testament law. Number one, the first thing is ceremonial law. If you were a Jew that lived in the Old Testament, you would sin. The law points to the fact that man is a sinner and that you cannot conform to the standard of God. It is too weighty. He says 200 plus do this and 200 plus don't do this. And if you were a Jew, you would say, man, I fall short of that all the time. And the priest would stand up there and say, we're glad that you figured out that you fall short. Bring your best bull, bring your best dove, bring your best grain offering to the temple and we'll sacrifice them and you will be forgiven of your sins temporarily. And you did it. So ceremonial law, like Exodus, uh, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 1, refers to the offering of livestock. Well, that ceremonial law's primary purpose was to point forward to Jesus who would live a perfect life, die a perfect death, and raise again from the dead. And so therefore, guess what? These laws don't exist anymore. 
Amen, praise the Lord, right? You bring your bull to the church, and I say, hey, man, you got to take that thing back out there. Matter of fact, just let it walk right in the creek. There's not even a bridge there. <clears throat> now, some of us would look at that, and they would say, okay, well, then I don't even have to read the Old Testament. Well, that's not true. Okay, because, well, we don't need to follow those ceremonial laws. Guess what? Those principles behind those laws show us how to worship and love a righteous God who would send his only son into the world. Those ceremonial laws point to how Jesus fulfills that law. And man, if anything, it helps us a better worship God through Jesus the son. Okay, so that's the first one, ceremonial laws. Number two, civil laws. Oh man, you know what? People don't get along, do they? What a bummer. If you read in Deuteronomy chapter 24, it speaks of loans, how you should take a loan out, how you should give a loan back. It's kind of funny sometimes when you read some of these laws, but essentially it applies to daily living in Israel or with these people who lived all over the place, not just in Israel. And our modern society is a little bit different than the Old Testament and New Testament, okay? Like, for example, you wear clothes and not cloaks. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Next week, don't come in in a cloak, okay? Anyway. I was going to say something sarcastic that just gave me in trouble, so we'll, we'll, we'll leave that there. Now, a lot of us would read those, and we would think to ourselves, man, these commands we have to follow to the letter like those loans, but that's not necessarily true because culture changes, but Christ doesn't. And when culture changes, essentially what he asks us to do is conform those principles to our standard in which we live. He doesn't say justify away your sin, but he says, listen, the principles that are contained in the civil law of the Old Testament still apply today. So I can read the Old Testament and all those civil laws, and I can realize that they apply to society today. Some of those commands are still very, very, very relevant. And Jesus is going to elaborate on all of those because he understands that the people are confused. So when you see in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, when he starts talking about murder, and he starts talking about anger, and he starts talking about divorce, and he talks about oaths, he's essentially helped clarifying the people, the principles in the Old Testament past, so that they can participate accordingly in the New Testament present. These Civil laws guided Christ's life. And if they guarded Christ's life, they should also guide ours. So we don't unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament. If anybody looks at you and says, man, we should just do away with the Old Testament, just do away with them. Because that's not true. Christ fulfills the law. We have to follow it. So you have ceremonial laws, you have civil laws. Third thing is the moral laws. These are like Ten Commandments, right? This is when God says, listen, you don't get it, so I'm going to get real specific to you. And all of those moral laws still exist. Those are things like when God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, don't murder. No, duh. But some people need the uh, no does in their life. And here's the other thing. Your no duh is sometimes somebody else's aha moment. So don't ever think that just because it is on surface and should be assumed that you should just let it go because sometimes when you have a no dub moment somebody else has an aha moment so it's important for us in the fellowship to come together to help people out moral laws reveals god nature and his will and they still apply today and so jesus fulfills all these ceremonial laws obeys all these civil laws obeys all these moral laws and he expects his disciples to do the same so that you can grow and have confidence in him because then you will see god's word you will see god's will and you will inherit his character the character of god because why you're made in his image in genesis it tells us that so Jesus says, though, because I'm still in a problematic moment here, I'm still asking questions, which Jesus loves when we question. You should do that more often. Unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Where does he say that? Well, look at verse 20. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, hold on a second. The scribes and the Pharisees are doing pretty good. They're following these laws pretty well. But I thought Jesus was against the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, he calls them whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23. He calls them hypocrites in Mark chapter 7. He calls them sons of the devil in John 8. Man, those are harsh words. And he wants my righteousness and your righteousness to exceed those scribes and Pharisees? What does that mean? How do we exceed the scribes and the Pharisees' righteousness? You want to know how you do it? It's real easy. You position yourself properly. And this is the question that we need to ask today. Where do you stand in relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you allowing him to go before you? Are you understanding that he has already gone behind you? Are you understanding that he walks beside you? And most importantly, do you understand that he dwells within you? Because the spirit of the Old Testament, it just went around and around and around and around. But in the New Testament, because Christ's death and resurrection, he dwells within you. And so my position in Jesus Christ is to understand that he is in front of me, he is behind me, he is beside me, and he dwells within me at the confession of my sins and the belief in the Messiah, Jesus. And when I believe in Jesus Christ as my Messiah, then, and only then, does my faith exceed the scribes and the Pharisees because I'm not doing things legalistically, I'm now doing things because the heart has been transformed. And in the next couple of verses, in the next couple of passages, Jesus is going to gun at the heart. He's going to say, you are striving to do things in a way that is external, but let me work on the internal, and the external will follow suit. Jesus will say, you can position yourself in full alignment and compliance and conformity to me, because I am the word, the law made flesh. In the beginning, John says, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was the God in the beginning. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Faith is confidence in the person of Jesus Christ, in his power, so that even when his power does not serve my end, my confidence in him remains because of who he is. Jeremiah will state it like this. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him, who positions himself properly. So to succeed at whatever God calls me to do, and God calls me to do all things with excellence because he died on the cross for my sins. He says, you are to worship me with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. Everything that you have should be run through the lens of my word. You can be confident, not self-confident, but confident because I am. The one who saves you. Paul will say it like this. I'm, I'm self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. And Jesus will affirm it. In John chapter 15, he's saying, without me, you can do nothing. So to succeed at anything, you have to have confidence in God and his accomplishments. Even if that means failing forward. When we trust him, he takes our mistakes and he causes them to work for our good. I'm going to show you a, a little video of what this looks like. I showed this to Bethany the other night. It's probably one of my favorite videos. I watch it all the time. Don't start it yet. Don't start it yet. Man, you, you kill, you're killing me. You're killing me. Last week it was a fire drill, and now we got this problem. <clears throat> and I love you all. In the video, you're going to see a couple of things. You're going to see a little girl. Obviously, you already saw her. But you can have faith and trust that you're going to see her again. 
And uh, she's going to try to jump on um, this essentially platform that's in front of her. It's called a box jump for those of you who work out. And essentially, her father's teaching her how to jump on this box. And it's a little high for her. If you notice, the box is essentially a little bit big. And she's going to try desperately to do this. And she's going to try over and over again. She's going to trust in the box because the father has put the box in front of her. And the father's looked at her and said, you can trust that the box will hold your weight. And most likely, he probably, before the video started, put it on it to show her that the box would hold her. So she has affirmed or trusted that what her father says is right. And then she's going to realize she's going to fail over and over and over again. And Bethany looked at me and she said to me the other night, she said, who in their right mind would make their kid do this? And I thought, man, I'm sure glad you don't see what happens when you're not here a whole lot. Our kids are fine. They're doing really good. <laughs> what happens, though, in the video, you're going to see the father come in, and he's going to essentially, after a failure, a failure, a failure, a failure, he's going to look at his little girl, and he's going to stand behind her, and he is going to speak the words to her that she needs to hear. He is going to reignite her confidence. And I hope that you can take this and you can apply this to how our relationship is with God he has given us reason to trust him based off what the Old Testament says. Here is the rock in which you need to stand. But through my word and through what I have done for you, I will give you the ability to get up there. And you'll watch this little girl, for example, after her success, she does not praise herself. She praises her dad. And she gives praise back to him for how he spoke life into her. Watch. Yeah, now you can. so little children can trust their earthly parents we can trust our heavenly father and have confidence in him because of the words of Christ when he whispers in your ear this week in your trials and your tribulations may you hear him say you can do all things through me I'll give you strength let me pray for you <clears throat> heavenly father we thank you for your word and we thank you for the completion of it and the fulfillment of it through Christ who was obedient, who was submissive, and who followed it to the letter. And his example shows us how we should live. You are the rock. And what's amazing is you say that we can do all things through you because you give us strength. 
And you say that you're working in and through our failures and our shortcomings and our setbacks. As you stand behind us, you've already been where we've gone. You stand beside us, you're walking with us like a friend. You stand in front of us, you've already gone places that we will go this week. And when we confess and believe that you are our Messiah, you dwell within us. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, in order for the Spirit, God's Spirit, His voice to dwell, His Spirit to dwell within you, may you confess and believe. May you make the obedient decision, the first step, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength by submitting to Him and to Him alone. May you trust Christ. It's very simple. You just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. Would you come into my life today? Would you be my Messiah, my savior, the forgiver of my sins? Would you create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me? Have you made that decision? You're a child of God. And you've made that decision. I'd love to give you some assurance of that today. So many of us, God, we already have a relationship with you and I think sometimes we just feel like we're jumping on the box and falling off and jumping on the box and falling off. And God, in order for us to really be able to have true success, we need to be submissive to you and to your word. And we need to understand how important it is to be fully obedient as Christ was. So God, as we're gathered here today, in church, as you've heard the word that has been proclaimed to you this morning, maybe the first step for you is just asking that you would put God back on the throne and be submissive to him. In the areas of disobedience, that you would just say, God, I'm sorry. I surrender to you again. Maybe for you, church, it's asking God, to help you be obedient because of the power of Christ. For you, maybe it's a whisper to say, God, I can't obey on my own. I've tried. I don't know what it is, what you've been going through, a relationship problem, a sickness, problems with children, problems with parents, problems with family, job situations. Ask God to help you be obedient, to trust in Him. Ask Him to help you see Him in your daily endeavors. And may you understand that as Christ was submissive and obedient, so you too can be as well. Lean, as Proverb tells us, on the understanding of the Lord. And watch Christ renew a right spirit within you. May he restore into you the joy of your salvation. And may the passion for Jesus Christ continue to burn as you're obedient to him. God, encourage us, uplift us today. Give us the opportunity to realize that all the stories are true. That Jesus is the answer. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.